4: you are listening to Myst apex podcast we live f1 welcome to missed apex podcast this episode is dedicated to the memory of bjorn gugu lead guitarist of fall into flux the band that provides our theme music taken too soon, but long to be part of Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Spanners-Ready, and I'm joined by Matt to Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Uh,
1: It's going great. You know, I've been out having awesome cultural experiences. How about yourself? Good Mother's Day there?
4: Yes, I've had a fantastic Mother's Day. Not only did my kids honor their mother... I also invited my mother so we could celebrate Mother's Day all as one big group. So as long as absolutely no one in this group forgot Mother's Day, we should be absolutely fine. On an unrelated note, we're also joined by Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens. How's it going? How's your mum, Chris? She's great. Just, Just great. Not angry at all. Look, we have some guests on today. We've been pretty uh, low on our rotor over the winter, pretty much, you know, us three have kept things going for the last three or four weeks, but we're joined now by Missed Apex rookie superstar, Nick Alexander. How's it going, Nick? Doing very well, spinners. And my mom is not British, so it is not her day today, as far as I know. <laughs> and also joined by Downforce, Bannerman and commentator, Jake Sanson. How's it going, Jake? It's going very well. Great to be back on MAP once again. We are an independent podcast hosted by mistapexpodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. Now then, we do have some big dirty news. Big dirty news. Now, Matt, this might not be news to everybody, but we are hearing reports that Adrian Newey is nearly all the way out of Red Bull. He has been replaced by somebody called a a suspiciously French sounding name. What's going on, Matt?
1: Well, I think basically is you remember a couple of years ago when he wanted to go build a boat and he went and built a boat and then Red Bull couldn't build a car? Well, I think that's pretty much what we're aiming for all over. Uh, once more, again, um, they're moving. Is it Pierre Vache there, Mister Stevens? Vache? I'm not sure.
5: Uh, um, I I didn't do well at French, so don't ask me.
1: Yes, well, then I shan't ask you. Perhaps somebody else on the panel will know how to pronounce that name properly. But basically, they're trying to replace Nui for the most part with this triumvirate of people, and uh, and um. This this guy, Pierre, is going to be taking over sort of your day-to-day operational stuff. And then Adrian will apparently just be checking in from on high now and again.
5: Yeah, it's not so much Adrian who is leaving the team uh, because he's not. And I think that's what some people, that's the idea that a lot of people are, are getting. Um, but it's more, he's more focusing on uh, the Aston Martin project with the Red Bull tie-in uh, than he is Formula One at the moment. So By no means is this, you know, uh, a
0: a major issue for Red Bull.
1: We are literally being corrected by uh, Daniel Drury in the chat as I speak.
0: I think he just means the pronunciation, hopefully.
1: Yes, well, you have German, so you're of no use to us whatsoever.
0: Nope.
5: I did German, but terrible at French and Spanish.
6: I'm half French, so I can have a crack at the pronunciation if that's really going to be the first thing we need to get out of the way here, first and foremost, uh, I believe it is Pierre Wache. Wache, I believe it should be. I was a little bit disturbed because
4: somebody said Vache earlier, and that is the French word for cow. So that's not really setting a good precedent. Well, wow, this is amazing journalism so far, guys. Uh, yeah. Matt, do you want to continue with this horrible news segment or go to the next one?
1: I think we should just abandon the podcast at this point because it's, it's just going to be downhill from here. Yeah.
4: And no one tell Carter we've got half French panelists for goodness sake. Uh, look, we're, we're looking towards the teams and there's a couple of teams that look to be struggling financially. We've noticed that McLaren don't seem to have a lot on their bodywork at the moment, but perhaps also we could look at Force India, a team that. I've been touting to do really well, especially against Renault in my bet with Anil. Uh, But we are getting worrying reports about their lack of budget. Despite that, you know, they've done some running. How do you feel about them, Matt? Well,
1: I think the most worrying thing was um, in the Spanish press, uh, Sergio Perez was mentioning that with the way the money looked now, they couldn't even be considered contenders for the top of the midfield as they were last year and on top of that we've seen reports in more than a few papers although nothing confirmed and actually i believe later denied by the team that one or more energy drinks companies might be after the um controlling share in the team from uh, i would probably guess vj malia who i assume has some rather mounting legal bills he's going to be half he's going to have to be taken care of fairly soon
0: If the rumors are true and Rich Energy is uh, buying a stake in the team, I would have to think that that could actually have a positive uh, influence on Force India. Just Vijay Malia and the money laundering and the extradition and all that just seems like an unwelcome distraction.
1: Alleged Alleged money laundering, my friend.
0: And the actual extradition.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it guilty
6: until proven bankrupt? Just saying. I mean, on the face of things, when you look at how
5: Force India have progressed, you know, they've spent a lot of money to get to where they are, fourth in the constructors. But there is a lot of prize money that comes with that. Even so, the team only s- seem to just be breaking um, even, as they are, you know, with most um, teams. So, you know, you do have to kind of wonder uh, why they're in such a, a terrible position. I mean, they were not running Esteban Ocon and Sergio Perez at the very beginning of preseason testing uh and i th- i think matt your kind of thought process was that well putting nicholas latifi or ha- originally planning to put nicholas latifi in the car and then having to settle for uh, nikki to uh is more of a financially driven uh thought process um than anything else because what is the point in bothering with with mazapin uh you know or, or even latifi in the car
1: oh well precisely but as we know of all the teams, uh, of course, India tends to ebb and flow with their payments from Formula One. And um, after hearing uh, Carter uh, discuss like the extra money for the extra engine for the extra mileage, if you, as we will get to momentarily, once you start looking at the data, it just it really looks like they're in a very barren period right now and are just literally trying to come up with enough money to uh, make it to Australia in one piece.
4: Well, there's lots of teams that are having to brace themselves for Australia. Also, as we mentioned earlier, McLaren's lack of sponsors and that very, very plain orange car. Uh, I mean, on the plus side, it did make it very easy for people to Photoshop Bic uh, razors and and Bic pens, etc. onto it. But apart from that, a little worrying.
1: Uh, yeah, although there are some potential other sponsors with that orange color they could go after, right, Nick?
4: Yes, I, for
0: one, am personally hoping that Iron Brew will slap a girder on the side of that. I mean, the color combo is just perfect. And uh, it seems that caffeinated energy beverages are the new tobacco, what with Monster, Red Bull, obviously the potential introduction of rich energy drinks, whatever those are.
5: They'd they'd have an issue when they go go to the States, though, because I found out quite recently that Iron Brew is actually illegal in the
6: US. As is Haggis both lots of scottish things are illegal in america i don't know why actually iron brew have already put an iron girder on the force india it's on, on the uh mclaren sorry it's called the halo surely that was well then i've
0: up. i've uh allegedly been breaking customs rules then because i drink iron brew on a weekly basis
6: <laughs> i love
5: you for that how delicious is that illegality
0: i i don't I don't think that it is illegal.
5: I don't know. It has a like a, a food additive or something
6: that's like illegal in the US, it's some really minor thing. Wow, haggis and iron brew is banned in America and everything else is fine. That's just crazy.
4: Uh, oh, f- does anybody really want to eat cheap pluck? <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, for our international listeners who don 't know, Haggis is a very small rodent type creature with two legs shorter <laughs> than the other, so that they can go around the top of mountains without falling over. Matt, enough of this silliness let 's go and talk about testing okay, so one of the key things we hear from anyone who actually knows what they're talking about within Formula One, they tend to say you can't tell. Anything from testing. Now, what we really should do at this point is mute our microphones, turn everything off and stop speculating that that doesn't make for an entertaining podcast. So I don't believe that you can tell nothing from testing. Sure. You can't look at the timesheet and say that team is at the top. That is second. That team is third, but there's a lot we can tease out, Matt, isn't there? And one of the things that is quite revealing at times is the amount of mileage that each car driver and power unit manages over two weeks.
1: Yeah. And I believe, uh, on the last show with, uh, Matthew Carter, he was, he was quite insistent that, that the more miles you get, the better setup you're going to be for your season. Uh, that you start with a test it till it breaks. And then you make sure your drivers are comfortable in the car. And then, then you start to look at correlation issues. If you have more money and more miles available to you and things like that. And so if we just start at the top. Guess who led the number of laps for the entire testing sessions? All both of them.
4: Well, you'd have to go out on a wild guess and say that it's the the same team that's done it the last three, four years in the hybrid era, Mercedes.
1: Absolutely. But now, of course, we were expecting to see a different result at the bottom because McLaren, of course, no longer has those dreadful Honda engines.
4: Oh, wait. Go on. Give us the bad news.
1: Uh, Yeah. They managed to be First, with the least number of laps, again, McLaren did, despite having a Renault engine in the back of their car.
5: The worrying thing about McLaren, though, is that it's a series of different issues. It's not like there's a fundamental thing that they can sort of identify and then, uh, you know, put a a fix on it. It's one issue after another. uh, And you really have to wonder why, you know, they seem to be in quite a unique place uh, as a as a as a Renault customer that is having all of these issues cuz the works team and the Red Bull aren't having the same issues as them
4: Matt that's an interesting point cuz you know I've done a lot of fault finding and I am talking about my job so several people will be drinking right now uh, but when you do have these several gremlins that Chris is describing a lot of the times they come from one or two fundamental things and if they keep chasing what is effectively symptoms of this bigger problem Without addressing the main issues, it makes you feel like there might be a core problem somewhere deep down underneath.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, clearly the issue here and the main problem for McLaren is Honda. Honda failed to provide them with a power unit so perfect it would make up for all their organizational shortcomings and lack of finance, perhaps. And so clearly, this is just a carryover from the Honda era. And McLaren is, of course, perfect. And I'm not getting paid money by Bradley Philpott to say that.
6: (laughs) I personally think it's absolutely hilarious that McLaren are doing so badly having ditched Honda, because at the end of the day, I said in the winter, why are they ditching Honda? They've had three years with them. Okay, it's been an absolute nightmare. But the best thing you can learn about McLaren is that if they just keep riding the crest of the wave you're eventually going to come good they joined mercedes in 1995 and their car was not a good one 96 it was dire 97 they finally started to come good 98 they won the championship and then again in 99 it's like guys they have absolutely no follow-through they should have stuck with honda and toro
4: rosso are proving them to be absolute morons well nick what jake seems to be saying is mclaren should be accidentally good by now It's (laughs) it's
0: <laughs> more unlikely things have happened. I'd just like to go to the chat room real fast. Um, Craig Alderson is pointing out that the core problem is their tight packaging. Uh, and M Helmy Fauzi, I hope I said that okay, says, "In dropping the car isn't helpful."
5: The the thing with you know the, the Honda is well, you know as comical as it may look and very very ironic, which is how Honda have come in and and done what the, the the third most laps of any team with Toro Rosso uh, across all of testing I think it was
0: that's right the third most while,
5: yeah well McLaren managed or just over half of what Mercedes managed across two weeks you know McLaren demanded certain things from Honda which Honda couldn't deliver and then when Honda asked for a little bit of compromise McLaren refused to budge. And here's the crucial difference is that when they asked Taro Rosso for a little bit of compromise, they welcomed it with open arms. And that's why we're seeing such a, a drastic uh, turnaround, because there's probably a load of ideas that Honda had that McLaren wouldn't allow them to do. This is
6: all very true. It's also worth pointing out that they actually did something McLaren that the fans were screaming at them to do for ages and ages, which was to paint the cars papaya orange in the first place. Hilarious moment then cues as the car is painted papaya orange and all of the complainers and whingers come out the woodwork and say, I don't like it. Doesn't it look very nice, doesn't he? It's ridiculous. It's like Formula One fans are so fickle. They haven't got a clue what they actually want. You wanted the cars to be orange. They painted them orange. Now they are too orange. Grow up, guys." decide what you want and that's what you're gonna get
4: chris i think this is a social media thing isn't it i mean the fact is nobody ever sits there and goes yeah i quite like it it's okay what we get is the vocal minority all the time so if you listen to the internet everything is terrible constantly it's pure negativity isn't it
5: the internet it's a a woeful place to be i will say this about um honda though i mean we're sitting here praising them for now It could well be, as soon as we turn up in Australia and they have to actually run it in proper race trim, 100%, it it might just blow up all over again, or it might still be horrifically slow. Uh, Again, it's just not, it's it's answers we're just not going to have until Australia.
1: It's also possible sharks will be swimming on the streets of Melbourne because of a giant uh, tsunami and rainstorm. But I don't find that to be likely. Honda was much more reliable over the end of last season. And that seems to be where they have um, focused a lot of their efforts. And it seems like based on what Renault said earlier, Renault is trying to now catch them up in reliability, uh, given the specs that they're saying they're going to run for the first part of the season.
5: Yeah, this is uh, very true, you know, Renault have been completely focused on uh, getting the reliability sorted, especially with such a shortage of engine parts as per the regulations um, these days, Um, but it doesn't mean that, you know, their performance has been much much good either. I mean, I think at some point in this season, we are finally going to see that ERS update that should have come at the very beginning of last season.
1: Just a little behind, just a little behind.
4: Well then, Matt, I think we might be getting to the point where we've covered the team mileage to some extent, but it's also quite interesting how much the individual drivers did. Uh, now, from my point of view, sort of half keeping attention to the live feed of the BBC. And by the way, big shout out to Gary Rose for keeping us entertained during testing on the BBC website. However, um, from what I caught when I was supposed to be working, have got a lot of time compared to the other test drivers. Is that something I dreamt? No,
6: I I think it's quite interesting that Kubica got a lot of mileage. I think Williams kind of felt a little bit guilty uh, for not giving him a race drive, even though he clearly wasn't good enough to be given a race drive, because otherwise they would have given it that. Williams are in a position where they have to do things positive to get people on the board and get the sponsors to bring in more money. Kubica was a no-brainer to sign him unless he wasn't good enough. So clearly he wasn't quite fast enough to give them you know, reason enough to sign him. So they went with the money. They went with Sorokin. And I personally think that is also the reason Martini is pulling the plug because Martini wanted a strong, mature driver who's over the age of 25 to kind of captain the team, as it were. They've got a 19-year-old and a 22-year-old. That is not in Martini's brand management, you know, commercial idea. That's why Martini pulling the plug. I said, you can't give us two drivers that we approve of so we're going and I think that's the only reason they're losing that money so now Williams are under so much pressure in 2018 they have to justify it and I think Kubica getting that mileage was kind of a little bit of appeasement kind of showing no he's still one of us we still (laughs) want to give him you know the track time with we're just hoping he gets better enough so that
4: he can lead the team next year. We're just hoping that happens. Nice one, Jake. For a minute there, I thought you'd forgotten the original question, but uh, Chris Sparkles—he actually uh, got to, got there in the end, didn't he? Uh, a little bit. <laughs> I mean, Martini are, are pulling out of motorsport sponsorship
5: in general. I don't think it's necessarily purely about the drivers. It's more of a, a cultural thing about how you know uh, a quarter of the races they're not really allowed to have the Martini lo- logo on the car anyway, because alcohol sponsorship is banned. So I think that's maybe more something to do with it than just the, the drivers. But for Kubica, the, the the word I'm hearing about the Williams is that it's a bit of a dog of a car, very rough around the edges, difficult to drive, very raggedy. Uh, and I feel like they need someone like Kubica with a bit more experience to help try and tame that car, work on the setup uh and uh and and get it sorted out you know when williams unveiled a car that was you know on the surface looked very different to it to its uh look the same to its predecessor we're told it's it's very very different and they're sort of struggling to understand the new car as are a few teams
4: let's hear from our second american the nearly as good as matt trumpets nick alexander
0: i'll take that so i just kind of like to jump in here as a tie-breaking vote in uh side with sparkles i think the much more likely explanation for why Kubica got the testing laps that he did was because uh, they need the feedback more than they wanted to do him a personal favor. And I, um, he, he did come under a little bit of fire for criticizing the current generation of cars in general for being overweight, undrivable. Um, and I think he's the only one of the three drivers on the team that knows what the car is supposed to feel like. He is absolutely right about the cars, though. They are so heavy. I mean,
5: pre-hybrid era, you know, they were 100 kilos lighter than what they are um, now. And, um, you know, you look at the weight of the power units, the difference is not 100 kilos. Uh, And, you know, I mean, throw the extra aerodynamics in there as well. But uh, definitely, you know, trying to lighten up these cars a little bit wouldn't be a bad uh, thing.
0: Did you see what, um, Damon Hill said about his comments on Twitter? He was like, he says it's like driving a bus. He says the cars are overweight. Who does this guy think he is? Uh, to which the Polish Twitter contingent, uh, lashed out at Damon Twitter. How dare you? <laughs> <Quite
4: humorous. laughs> we at Miss Apex podcast love Max Verstappen and Robert Kubica, Jake, don't we? Come on, keep it up. Yeah, no, we really do. We really do love Robert Kubica.
6: I, this is a little fairy tale that's kind of taking a little bit too long to play out and, I think most people who watch Formula One at the moment, or certainly are watching testing, really want Robert Kubica to pull in that lap that shows that he's still got what it takes. They are waiting for him to pull out a lap that's like two seconds quicker than Stroll. Oh my goodness, put him in the main seat. It just hasn't happened yet. And I think, you know, Williams have really got to give Robert as much time as he possibly can in the simulator, in the car, wherever possible, because that's the only way he's going to get it back. And I actually think as much as it would be great for him to get that top-line drive again. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think it would have happened by now if it was
1: going to happen.
4: Well, Matt, I mean, I'd love to get your thoughts on the Williams guys as well, but also what was going on with the top drivers.
1: Okay. Well, I can do that. But before I do that, may I bring up our friend Craig Alderson in the chat room saying that McLaren will indeed have the best car. They just won't be able to score points with it. That seems to be the argument du jour for McLaren fans. We'll have the best car. It just won't finish regularly and will be very far no, behind. No,
4: no, 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 no. They had 2017 for that argument. Now is the time to put up or shut up. I'm sorry. I include myself among McLaren well-wishers. However, we can't just keep granting them this mystery pace. At some point, they have to actually show it over the course of a lap. That's the trouble for
5: McLaren, though, isn't it? They've got nowhere to hide yes. uh, now. And, you know, when these... Uh, problems uh with with Renault started uh creeping up in in preseason testing. You have to wonder how many McLaren issues were swept under the Honda rug uh over the past 3 seasons. It is very much time for them to deliver.
1: Um and what's most interesting to me and may or may not have any bearing on the season but will be interesting to keep an eye on is the fact that Vettel ran 643 laps to Hamilton's 456. And if we accept that those are currently the two at the top or the likely top of the field based on last season, then that hands Vettel a very big advantage in terms of time in the car before the season begins. And I don't know whether it will have a practical difference or not, but it is a pretty big difference uh, relative to most of the rest of the field. Um, We look at Raikkonen, 216. So the least of all, and perhaps that tells us everything we need to know about Raikkonen and and his tummy ache, because he was sick, and that would be why he had so few laps.
6: Can I come up with a different argument for that? I wonder if Vettel being out in the car more than Hamilton was in his was because Hamilton doesn't need to find out more about his car. I have a feeling that the car is already exactly where they need it to be ready for Melbourne. If you look at some of the runs they were doing on mediums uh, and softs, I mean, their pace is scary on mediums. They are putting about the same sort of lap times on mediums. I was looking at Valtteri Bottas. Uh, some of the lap times that he was putting on mediums were similar to those on supersofts in some of the other cars. So I have a feeling that Mercedes were not actually pushing it as hard as they needed to. Potentially, they were sandbagging because they know they've already ticked every box they need to, to be race winners in Melbourne. So Vettel putting in a lot of mileage, I think they're trying to catch up.
1: So every race is going to be run with mediums as the race tire there, Jake?
6: I'm not saying that necessarily. I'm just saying they're they're exploring their options. I think every race this year is going to be determined by where the Ferraris start the race from. Because if the Mercedes are on the front row of the starting grid, they're gone. They are just gone. If Ferrari can get their cars on the front row, get into the first corner first, we've got a race on our hands. Otherwise, this is Mercedes championship to lose.
0: Okay, I've got a question for our resident tire expert, Matt Trumpets. I want to know about Mercedes not running on the Hypersoft, not really spending a lot of time running on the softer tires. Why is that? Are they going to have problems keeping those cool?
1: No, I don't think they're going to have problems keeping them cool. I think that two things. Number one, um, as far as Mercedes goes, they haven't enjoyed the same raw pace advantage on the softer tires. So they have less need or less drive to really optimize those tires. They're very interested in optimizing their race tires. Second reason is we have a brand new surface at Barcelona. And having looked into surfaces and how they evolve and how they relate to the grippiness of the tires and to the degradation of the tires, I feel like they probably felt there was less to be learned there. They'll learn more once they get to the actual circuits and, and run these tires in practice. So I think it's a combination of both of those things. But worryingly enough for Mercedes fans, and I think this will go to our arguments further down when you talk about where everyone's going to be, they seem the, the trait of just launching on their own rear tires seems to be reappearing at Barcelona once the weather turned a little bit warmer. And if so, that could wind up being a major factor in the championship this year.
4: Well, uh, one point before we go over to Sparkles, who always has his ear to the ground. Firstly, Mercedes' tactic of running a medium or a harder tyre to death in testing has done them pretty well so far. And Chris, isn't the Hypersoft meant to be uh, just a street circuit tyre?
5: I think that's what it's sort of aimed at. I mean, it's the... Uh, softest available compound that all the compounds are a step softer than what they were last year plus the extra hypersoft which is a, a an e- a step even further softer so it's basically two steps softer than the ultra soft of last year i can't keep up with this it's absolutely ridiculous some of these tires but the the point it's very very soft very grippy and it won't last very long so yeah it's aimed at uh, you know sort of canada uh, Mon- uh, uh montreal maybe monaco uh, I just said Canada and Montreal in the same sentence. Um, but uh, <laughs> Singapore, places like that. Um, as for um, Mercedes using the, the harder tires, it's something they've done for the last couple of years. There's less yeah. to be learned on a tire that is so soft, it will degrade in a handful of laps around what is a very high energy um, circuit. So there's very little point other than you know the glory run to go and put that out. And as for the difference in uh, laps completed between Vettel and Hamilton. This is what happens when you get in so late on these things. Um, is that you know Ferrari have got such a different car to what they did last year. They've gone for it's it's more of a revolution than than evolution, which is what the Mercedes have done. So they into you know have less to learn, whereas Ferrari with a, you know a completely new uh, front aerodynamic concept, new suspension, uh, and the longer wheelbase as well. They've got so much more to learn, and actually the the evidence on track is that. The car isn't quite where they want it to be. It's a little bit ragged.
6: I hated Hypersofts. I didn't really learn anything particularly exciting about them. I didn't get to say this when they were first announced on Miss Apex. Uh, now I've actually seen them in testing and wow, it's fantastic. I have a feeling that you know rumours are circulating that there's going to be another soft tyre that's going to be softer than that. That's going no. to be unbelievably soft. Then we're going to have Andrex soft. Then we're going to have soft cheese. It's just ridiculous. What is the point of the Hypersoft? I do not understand it at all. The I and can't it just...
4: believe it's not soft.
6: Uh, well, exactly. I, I just think this is Pirelli obviously bored and they haven't had much to do. So they think, oh, we'll just make a new uh,
4: great. I, I will defend it slightly because there's a couple of tracks where I think you would need almost a completely different tire and setup. And if we accept that we have tracks like Monza and Monaco where you need completely different aero setups, then why not a um, uh, a tire for Sochi where or, we we know or, the track doesn't wear the tires? Let's have a tire that just disintegrates for Sochi. Otherwise, we're stuck with one stop for the sake of it.
6: Well, you kind of. Or we could have 20 drivers who are really good at race driving and have to learn how to manage around the problem. Oh, yes, I remember that Uh, No, but but, but,
4: uh, (coughs) to be fair, the the softness of the compound is now integral to the strategy and the racing of Formula One. The powers that be have decided that this one tyre formula with these different compounded tyres is the way they want to go. Now, what happens is we've got tracks that are outside that window. We've got Monaco, where you're not going to burn through your tyres. We've got Sochi, where the tyres will last forever. And as far as we know, this new surface at Barcelona, Chris, will also uh, not wear these tyres away.
5: Well, we, we we say that, but there's been a return of of graining and blistering that probably haven't seen for a, a very long time because of this new surface. So, although the physical wear isn't as as great because the surface is less abrasive, what's actually happening is there's pretty much more there's more energy going through the tyre, um, especially because the circuit's about a second a lap quicker now. Um, so that is going to put more strain on the tire for different reasons. Um, but I completely agree with your point about, you know, we had so many one stop races uh, last year and tracks like uh, Monaco and such in particular where you could have done the entire race distance on the ultra soft tire. This is not really what we want to see. We still want to see the drivers able to push in races. Yeah. But we kind of need that strategy, you know, back. So, so two two stop races mm. is uh, what we're aiming at.
4: And I think I whinged about this last season, but we do not know, we do not need to know what specific compound of tyre. Just tell us in a race if you're going to give us three compounds in a race, just tell us which is the softest of those, which is the middle of those, and which is the harder of those. You can drill down a little deeper to then find out where they are compared to other races. But you you don't actually need to know its softness compared to the last race.
5: This is why we need to sort of go back to a terminology of sort of option, prime, yeah. qualifying. Because right? imagine yeah, when yeah. we go to Monaco, oh, they're pitted for the, for the hyper or the ultra or the super. You know, that is ridiculous. Or do what IndyCar does and refer to them in, in as, as the colour
4: of <laughs> yeah. the tyre. Okay, Chris, yeah. I'm going to roll us on a little bit. Sorry, Jake. Uh, Matt. We've covered the team's mileage, we've covered the driver mileage, but almost as important is the power unit mileage itself. So we've still got the situation where Honda are only with one team, so they suffer from the same lack of data. But how have the power units themselves held up? And I think not only is there total mileage to take into account, but failure rate per miles is also quite a useful statistic.
1: Yes. Had we calculated failure rate per mile or kilometer, we would have been very clever and forward-looking. However, I think that fell off of my uh, to-do list. Did it fall off of yours as well?
4: It, it did. I was sort of hoping you might cover it. But we can take kind of a, a stab in the dark about that and, and surmise from the failures we've seen. For example, the Renault seems to have failed more than the Mercedes, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, no. And and I think we can very safely say that of all the manufacturers, uh, Renault had the most failures. Um, and in fact, if we look at the power unit mileage, it's very simple. Overall, the Mercedes power unit ran the most. The Ferrari was not too far behind. Uh, the Renault was a little further behind. And then, of course, we have Honda being only run in one car. But interestingly enough, the Honda and the Scuderia Toro Rosso, ran more than either Red Bull or or Renault, the works team, or McLaren by themselves. So we can call it definitely progress compared to the year before where Honda only ran seven hundred ten laps. This year losing a whole day to weather, they ran eight hundred twenty two.
4: Good. And from that we can conclude absolutely that McLaren will be problem free in Australia.
1: Yeah. I, I think I think But again, with McLaren, I think it's more than just power units. It's operations, isn't it? And you are the expert on this. So I'm going to put you on the spot.
4: (laughs) Uh, Instead of answering your question, I'm going to duck it slightly by saying we're getting to the latter half of the podcast now. And I think we've done quite well to keep it into kind of information gathering. We've set the picture of what we saw during testing. I think now, Matt, is probably around the time to get into a bit of not wild speculation, but putting our pundit reputations on the line as to where we think the teams are. What do you think?
1: I think that's a brilliant idea.
4: Well it was your idea. So let's let's admit that. Fair <laughs> I'll, enough. I'll admit it, Matt helps with the content, sometimes occasionally pulls his weight. Uh how do you want to do this, Matt?
1: Well I, I think I think we should confine ourselves to some basic and simple rules. Which is that we're going to group the teams based on their championship finish last year and argue where they might fall this year and when we get to a team that you feel should move up or down we will make the case when we get to that so shall we begin and this is no matter how misguided so for example if you think mclaren is going to win you've got to wait panel till we get to mclaren at the very back i'm not saying that they will ah so I'm the rule is we
4: just- can only talk about the team if they are in the current group we're talking about Okay, exactly. go on there. so I feel if, like
1: that makes it easier. Yeah.
4: So if we go to the top end, I'm assuming you've got the top three, Mercedes, Red Bull, and uh, Ferrari.
1: Absolutely. These are the ones we're looking at. And now th- then the question, of course, really is uh, Mercedes last year finished with 688 points to Ferrari's 522 and Red Bull's 368. And the question becomes, will Ferrari be able to get even closer and or dethrone mercedes
4: let's hear from chris rainbow sparkle stevens short answer no uh
5: from the evidence on track the mercedes looks like a beast and is already where they want it to be uh and unless something goes horribly wrong during the season you know they're the smart money uh, for the championship who and and I, I don't see anybody arguing that they will be the quickest across an entire season uh, and score the most points. Um, It's when you get to second, though, that it gets interesting because the Red Bullers look very, very strong on track. Um, We don't quite have the numbers for their sort of race sims because uh, I think it was Verstappen had uh, some reliability issue and Ricardo's was ruined by a a red flag. It might have been the other way around, but either way, they didn't quite get a representative uh, run in. Um, But the car looks very good. they really managed to get a strong foundation going which is what they've really struggled with over the past few years so it seems like on their side of things things are going very well but uh the the, the renault power unit it all depends on on them uh and that's going to be their limiting factor for sure the ferrari as i mentioned you know it's it's got a weak foundation it seems and it seems like as a, a an opposite to last year
4: uh where mercedes had more room for improvement ferrari have got the biggest gains to make over the season well the biggest Ferrari apologist in this panel is Nick Alexander how do you think your man Sebastian Vettel is going to do this year
0: Um, as much as I hate to admit it I don't really see any compelling reasons to change my order of Merc Ferrari Red Bull I don't see any weakness in the Mercedes if anything they've gotten on top of some issues that created some opportunities last year but with that said I think Ferrari made some mental mistakes, some strategic mistakes that would be some low-hanging fruit for some improvement. I'm hoping for as tight of a battle uh, for the top spot next year.
1: Right. Well, I I will help you out there. And I'm going to go back to my favorite subject of all time, tires. And if we go and look at the pictures of the tires on the rear of the Mercedes, yeah, they were incredible on the medium tires, but medium tires are not always going to be the race tires and not always available. I think Mercedes will absolutely struggle at certain circuits with their rear tires. I think the car is probably better balanced this year, but I think Ferrari is not sitting still, and they have more room to optimize the car throughout the length of season. the season. The issue for them is uh, qualifying and qualifying mode, and can they get closer and, and make the same kind of step that Mercedes regularly makes with their power unit, which is what has put them in the front of the race and give them, given them basically the tactical advantage almost everywhere they go.
4: And uh, I'll just point out that some people on the internet were saying that Mercedes were deliberately spinning up the tyres and doing sort of burnout uh, training, and that might have led to the kind of, I don't know what burnout training is, but basically they were doing something abnormal with their tyres that was making them look terrible in the photos. Quickly, Chris, am I right or wrong about that? I I couldn't.
5: Say if uh, Mercedes were deliberately doing that, but it's been a trait of the car over the last few years that it works better on the harder tires, so this is not necessarily a Matt already it, said a, that you Well, no, but it's i'm Just, saying it's not necessarily a new issue I don't think it's as a big uh,
4: a thing <laughs> no no know? exactly no no and i and I think you're absolutely right as Matt was previously when he made that same point uh Jake, give us your order on the top three before I give everybody the correct order.
6: My order on the top three. You're going to have to be more specific about that question. I don't know what you mean.
4: Okay, well, I mean, all I can really do is say it again uh, to save (laughs) you from the fact that you've not been paying attention to the last segment, Jake Sanson. You are an enigma. You're absolutely fantastic, but useless as well. Are you sure you're not 22? Uh, Yeah, so uh, what is your order for the top three next season? Uh,
6: I think it's going to be Mercedes running away. No problem there. I think it might be Red Bull just edging Ferrari. I can see Red Bull just edging Ferrari overall. I mean, it's a difficult one because we haven't really seen a lot of Red Bull's representative pace. We've seen some vague suggestions of it, but I think what's actually going to happen as the season evolves is that Red Bull will get better and Ferrari will get worse. So I can kind of see Mercedes will stretch out an advantage and there may be one or two places where Vettel can string a pole lap together and that might dictate a few races. I just don't see them being as strong as they were last year. And I think the end of last year is very much going to become the entirety of the first half of their year.
4: Obviously one of Missed Apex podcast's main strengths is its wealth of panelists and, subject matter experts to talk about F1 is a great advantage. However, it does mean that I have to wait longer to give the correct view on this particular segment. So uh, I can't get past Mercedes, obviously going away with it, but I think it will be Ferrari a distant third from the front two, Matt. I think that uh, Red Bull are going to be edging closer to Mercedes. It will be Red Bull that take the odd genuine performance related victory with mercedes being out there ahead but here's the thing matt if mercedes are being challenged by red bull instead of ferrari they have two great drivers there to take points off of lewis hamilton whereas ferrari very much only had one
1: yeah and that's that that has been their focus oddly enough not on the constructors so much but on the uh, driver's championship for vettel And I'm sure there's a lot behind that that we don't know.
0: So I'm wondering, and Rob Graham in the chat room is asking as well, why does everyone rank Red Bull ahead of Ferrari? And the answer may be because they have two drivers and Ferrari has one driver. But what I would like to know is with the reports that Renault is focusing on engine reliability and that they're turning down 40, 50 horsepower, I've seen quoted. How can you say that Red Bull is going to be up there fighting with Mercedes if they're going to be 50 horsepower down?
4: Okay, so this is the point where we go, you can't tell anything from testing. But I think we sort of can, because Ferrari have previous of showing us their hand in testing. We know that in Ferrari, they are under this immense pressure to show not only not only to win, not only in the championship, but to constantly show performance. And that's why I think Ferrari have turned up with low fuel runs. They've gotten to the top of the timing boards. I think McLaren have done the same thing. Now Red Bull have much more of a history of being crafty. Mercedes have much more of a reputation in testing of not showing the hand and not actually trying to set a fast lap. I think it's very obvious that they've not tried to set a fast lap. They've not even used the softest tire. So, it wouldn't surprise me Chris if Mercedes and Red Bull were running at say no no less than half a tank, for example. And Ferrari did runs that were uh, on light tanks and when you look at mercedes on their long runs some of the fast laps came towards the end of those long runs so you're talking about a, a car that has only run on either high fuel loads or low fuel loads with worn out tires so chris you are a mathematician <laughs> you're so not but no. when, when we if you if you think as i do that there's perhaps half a fuel tank of difference between ferrari's best time and then red bull and mercedes best time what sort of time delta are we talking there for that much fuel
5: i mean if we're talking you know every 10 kilos is worth three tenths of a second um you're looking at sort of every 10 kilos half.
4: every 10 kilos yeah
5: yeah mm. yeah, that's what, yeah so every uh you know what a lap be about one and a half one and three quarter seconds that's a rough estimation but the um the, the the thing about it, it is really difficult to read into testing times because of track conditions that are variable, fuel loads, engine settings, traffic, red flags, you know, there's so much going on for such a long period of time, it's really difficult to be able to crunch the numbers. So you do have to do a fair bit of work. On the um the the, the Renault aspect that Nick brought up about how they're sort of 40-50 horsepower down, um, you know, that is gonna be a major issue for them. But for the quality modes, they are introducing further restrictions yeah. on oil burning that should bring the pack co- closer together in qualifying. Yeah,
4: so Lauren's roller graph in the chat room says the Ferrari power unit is not as good since it's not allowed to burn oil. And Dominic Oxford suggests that Ferrari have more recently avoided glory runs. They seemed to stop it last season. Now, they might have stopped it in practice sessions, but Nick, looking at testing this time last year, we were all saying, well, not me, because... I was smarter than that, but we were all saying Ferrari had the fastest car and I think clearly Mercedes did have the ultimate pace fastest car. Is your team sandbagging or not?
0: I am definitely going to put on my Ferrari apologist hat here. (laughs) I don't think we've discussed this, but there were reports in auto motor and sport that Sebastian was lifting and coasting for significant portions of his fastest laps, which I think would argue against the fact that it was a glory run a little bit and i do think that ferrari used to get in trouble for talking the talk and not necessarily walking the walk but i do think that starting around this time last year they've started to keep their mouth shut a little bit more um so i don't i don't know that i agree with the glory run concept i don't think they're sandbagging either though
5: for the for the headline lap that was you know the unofficial lap records uh, I'd be amazed if he was, you know, slowing down on that one. Uh, it was something that he was doing earlier in, in testing, uh, though. So that is, uh, that is a fact, much like they were doing last year.
1: Yeah, well, the other thing we've heard, of, of course, is that Ferrari have been struggling with fuel consumption, and they may not be the only ones to do so. And we'll talk about that when we get to the midfield. But on the whole, yeah, I I saw those same reports. I saw people on Twitter saying that you you could audibly hear him lifting and coasting for big chunks of the lap. Now, is he doing that to preserve lap times? Is he doing it to sandbag? Or is he doing it because if he doesn't, he's going to run out of fuel? Well, I guess we're going to find out the answer to that in Australia.
0: Right. And so, quick question, this may be a foolish question, but were they using more fuel because there's an inherent problem with the Ferrari, or were they using more fuel because they were going so fast?
4: <laughs> well, I think in this sort of generation of, uh, you know, e- uh, economical use of power, they are kind of one and the same. You have a certain amount of fuel dollars to spend. So, I think Ferrari might be setting themselves up for a tactic of under-fueling, perhaps, to initially be lighter and then hoping that they're far enough ahead or in a good enough position to then lift and coast. Did that make sense, tactically? That makes sense to me. Um, That
0: used to be the strategy. I wish (laughs) that we could bring back refueling and have more stops, and I wish that that was an element of the game again, personally.
4: Yeah, but then several things exploded and caught on fire. And in an age where we have wrapped the driver up in a huge cage, I don't think we're going to be bringing back explosions into the pit lane map. And no one was punished for that. Matt. Just for stepping, caught on fire. <laughs> yeah, but that was like a million years ago, wasn't it? So, you know, he's had a whole child that can now drive a Formula One car since then. Matt, we've uh, covered the top three. I think we're into the best of the rest.
1: Yes. And of course, we all know that your very favorite team of all time, of course, India, occupied that position. And the question is whether Williams on 83 points, Renault on 57, Toro Rosso on 53, or Haas on 47 will be able to unseat
6: them. Uh, I'd like to see Force India staying where they are just because I love the Pink Panthers. I think they're amazing. Uh, And personally, I think when you consider that their budget for the entire season is enough to keep Ferrari and Cappuccino machines, it's pretty incredible when they come back with fourth position in the Constructors' Championship, seemingly since the late middle ages now. I want them this year to get their first win. I don't think it's going to happen, but if we can have Spa 98 we can have Force India winning their first Grand Prix. If we just have a wet Singapore or something like that, it could happen. When it comes to Williams, I am very, very scared for them this year. Very scared for Williams. I have a feeling that Williams is actually going to drop even out of this group. And I can see them falling as far as ninth. Uh, I can see them being a bit of a McLaren this year, which is really disappointing. I've not seen anything from testing that suggests they're going to be spectacular uh, the team that's really made the progress though is Renault. Renault really have hit a sweet spot. They could be the ones knocking on the door of the top four in the Constructors Championship. And it helps that they've got two spectacular drivers now. They've got the Hulk, they've got Science. Those two are going to work together. Neither of them have really got a I'm so great ego. They're going to work together, they're going to push the team forward. They'll end up being, I think, potentially the Laurel and Hardy of the grid. I think they're both <laughs> really nice personalities. It'll be perfect. Haas it's tricky because Magnussen, I feel, is pulling them down developmentally. Grosjean's doing everything he can to keep things strong. Uh, I think they'll pretty much stay as they are, really. But yeah, Williams will fall down. Force India will stay in the top four if Renault don't beat them.
5: I'd love to be as optimistic about Force India as you are, um, Jake. Unfortunately, I think it's going to be a major, major struggle for them to maintain that fourth place in the championship. Yeah. If they weren't you know uh just using a 2017 chassis from this testing because of financial struggles just the fact that you've got um a, a renault and mclaren um and uh, and the other teams making the progress that they are it's already going to be tougher for them um so i i would actually put i would put renault in the p4 um slot like you say they've been doing phenomenally you know they've got a new front wing Uh, from that last day of testing that has been working just uh, wonders. They've been really, really strong. And as you'd expect, because it's, you know, it's really the the second year of their um, return to Formula One. We might count 2016, where it was basically just a 2015 Lotus. Um, Haas, actually, I I know you say that, um, you know, you're not, particularly looking at a uh, uh, house, but I think they're the quiet ones of, of testing. I think they've actually probably a team that made really good progress. And actually I'm one I'm looking up for them in that, in that, that Renault force, India battle
1: way to make all of my points for me there, Stephen.
5: <laughs> well, I'm sorry.
1: I'm brilliant at this. <laughs> no, I, oh, here's what I'm going to say. Uh, we're talking about best of the rest. And, and I agree with you much as it pains me uh, force India. If they had the money, absolutely maintain that spot but it's just uh, the there's you know where there's smoke there's either fire or a ferrari venting oil through their exhaust and in this case i gotta say there's a, a bit of a financial fire at force india and they will be hard-pressed to maintain that but the good news for spanners and his bet is that renault will continue to suffer with reliability they w- are already talking about introducing a fourth power unit and taking penalties And I agree. I think if you look at the lap that Haas put in, fast as Mercedes on the medium, if operationally they can get both drivers across the finish line, I think you're looking at them as making a very unexpected play to be the best of the rest. And it's not just because I'm sitting here grunting Murica into the microphone and wearing star-spangled cowboy boots. It's because they quietly showed up and they've done a very good job and they are fast. They are much faster than I expected them to be.
4: Nick, don't show the same U.S. bias as your <laughs> compatriot over there. Uh, it's nah. even it's even worse
0: than that. They're actually about 45 minutes from my apartment. I'm desperate for them to hire me. If anybody's <laughs> listening, I'm within commuting distance already. Well, in that
4: case, I'm sure we can enjoy a completely unbiased opinion. How well do you even, think... I won't, uh...
0: talk, I won't even talk about Haas to Go know, on, then. avoid any conflict of interest. Um, I would have to jump on the Williams is in big trouble bandwagon. Yes, no, I agree. If I could speculate mm-hmm. really wildly, I would like to see one of those two young drivers lose their seat to the test driver. And then Toro Rosso, I think, is one to watch out for. They seem to be enjoying their new business partnership with their engine supplier.
6: Interestingly, in regards to the Force India thing, Chris Von Secker on the chat room has said, something which is a little bit hinty to what we're all thinking about. Uh, Waiting for Force India to be bought by Elon Musk and inexplicably win the championship this year. Okay, it's not going to be Elon Musk. I don't think Tesla's really interested in F1. But we still don't know if this team is going to have a different identity. We don't know if there's going to be a massive cash injection and all of a sudden all of their money issues are going to be fixed. So, okay, things are a little bit dire at the moment. But this is a team that knows how to make, you know, an incredible three-course meal out of a bucket of soup. You know, it's really, really good at bringing something pretty spectacular out of very, very small budgets, very, very small operations. So if they get that massive cash cash injection and there's a new name to the team and there's a new image by the time we get to Melbourne, then
4: who knows? It could actually be the masterstroke. You're all wrong to varying degrees. Now, Force, (laughs) Force India, absolutely, I think, are still best of the rest. They're still going to be the fourth place team, and I think with or without a budget, they have proved that early on in the season, they turn up with a good car. And yes, they can't throw the weight of development uh, that the other teams can, but they will turn up with a good car, they will be strong, and then they will hang on towards the end of the season. And crucially, in their battle against um Renault, and in their battle against McLaren, they don't have an engine that is going to occasionally let them down. In a season with three power units only over the course of the season, having a Mercedes engine is going to be a huge advantage. Renault and McLaren are going to start at least two races at the back of the grid because of their power unit. Red Bull seems to be doing something a little different. I'm not sure that it's going to be the same for Red Bull, but certainly those other two Renault teams I think are going to be having penalties they are going to have races starting from the back. Force India are going to be able to show their true pace in every single race. I'm not as worried about Williams as you guys are because, um, yes, their drivers are an unknown at best and poor at worst. However, there is a fundamental quality of engineering at Williams that will see them still, I think, in, the, in that very much top half, fifth or sixth. Where am I going wrong, Trumpets?
1: Well, I'll tell you where you're going wrong. Is you're insisting that, force India being the best of the rest, with which I absolutely agree from an operational and design standpoint, will equate with finishing fourth, which they won't because they lack the budget to pull that off this year. They'll finish fourth. I know you can say that, but when your own driver is saying things like, (laughs) we don't have the money to finish where we did last year at the start of the season... It's more concerning than just oh well they ran fewer laps so they couldn't afford to pay for the extra power units. But what's interesting to me also is that nobody has mentioned Toro Rosso. Have are they not on the grid this year? Did I miss something?
0: No, I, you did. I did mention that.
1: Oh, you, oh I was <laughs> reading the comments. That's uh, you're not supposed to say that. Even if you did, Nick, come on. Did you not read the official? You don't were straight to the chat.
0: Rhetorical question. Sorry.
1: Yes. No. Um, uh, but but really, uh, Toro Rosso is being entirely ignored here. But I see them as being, uh, despite their lack of name drivers, as being very opportunistic and hoovering up enough points to stay in this category.
0: I, I would, uh, name drivers. Yeah, I was okay. going to say the same thing.
1: No, 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 no. Uh, well, I, I, uh, th- I'm I don't. Sorry, know. They had signs last year. The, I, I know they've. They've okay.
4: got a WEC champion and a GP2 champion. No, Trumpet is right. Sparkles, tell us your uh, take.
5: Okay. I w- yeah, my original thing I was going to say was to disagree with Spanners, which I always love doing, um, which is t- the engineering at Williams. Uh, you know, that they've got... They've got a core that, of engineering t- talent. Right. Well, that doesn't really bode out in the evidence, which is that the car is a dog on track and will be
4: super difficult to
5: drive uh, for two... Very inexperienced drivers who There's that. Although yeah. did, didn't throw it at the scenery in testing, which is very you know impressive, especially given the, the ice cold conditions that we saw in that first week. But in terms of pure pace, they're going to struggle.
4: Jake, tell me you've got something better than they did not crash, so it might be okay.
6: I haven't, I'm afraid. It's, it's Stroll and Sorokin. It's Stroll and Sorokin. I, I commentated on Sorokin when he was in Formula Renault 3.5, when everybody was saying, oh, this is going to be Russia's new superkid. In Moscow, coming to the grid, he stalled it in first gear. And this is a guy who, you know, should be a, a Formula One superstar. I have yet to see anything particularly spectacular from Sorokin. Similarly, actually, to come onto the Toro Rosso thing, you're talking about no two-name drivers, a WEC champion and F1 champion. I want Hartley to be better than I feel he's going to be, but I don't think he's quite going to measure up to where we would like him to finish. He'll score sevenths and eighths and ninths to the kingdom come, but I'm not sure he's long-term Red Bull material. I think he's filling in until some of the other younger Red Bull guns are ready to take over. With Pierre Gasly, I know he's a GP2 champion but I have yet to be stunned by him. He just seems to be very... In the same way, when I was impressed with Danny Kvyat when he came through, I just haven't seen that from Pierre Gasly. And I feel that ultimately, Red Bull Jr., as it were, are completely going to shoot themselves in the foot for betraying Dan Kvyat. I think he, they should have stuck it out with him. See, in a way, I agree with you about Pierre Gasly because I actually rate the man he beat
5: to the title that year, Antonio Giovannazzi, higher yes, than yes. he does. But... I would uh, actually like to come back to the, the, the uh of, uh, of Haas and actually jump on your bandwagon because I would actually say Haas are going to overtake Williams. Uh, and so I'll take, I will hurt the yeah. national pride uh, on, on this side of the pond uh, and, and grit my teeth through that. But it is, I uh, think it's
6: just a fact. I can agree with that. I can say, you know, Grosjean has pretty much been, you know, sallying forth with Haas for the last two years now. And, It's proof that, you know, this is their third year. They are going to have a much better time of it. And even Kevin Magnuson, who I slate to high heaven, is actually starting to look like a slightly impressive racing driver now. So maybe, just maybe, he won't embarrass them. That's that's hoping for a lot, but maybe.
1: Yeah, sorry, I'm replying to the chat room. But uh, with regards to Williams, I will make the point that they do have a ton of amazing engineering talent, but a lot of it is a lot of it is pointless they have an entire gearbox division for designing their own gearbox when they could just buy the one from Mercedes like Force India does and so a lot of their budget goes into sort of this legacy engineering talent that they had from when they were from when the entire sport was different and they've not yet revamped their corporate structure to match modern reality and i think that's why you're sometimes and i'm sometimes and we're all sometimes surprised at Williams, with this wealth of talent and history in the sport, fail to do better. It's because they spend a lot of money on things that don't really help them all that much. And the other teams, the teams that do better, this is absolutely what they do. Um, And I'm glad to see that you're on board with my Haas prediction of them doing better this year. I've got my fingers crossed because it's perhaps a good model if, if they can trouble the people... um, if they can they can trouble the top three, as it were. Shall we descend into the cellar?
4: Yes, I think that's a good idea. Now, it's easy to forget, with all the optimism of certain people talking about McLaren finishing as championship contenders, that they did, in fact, did they not on points finish in the top two, uh, the bottom two, Matt?
1: Yes, they did. And for those of you who will immediately throw things at my head for ranking them near dead last, uh, they finished with 30 points. Uh, Haas best of the rest 47 points so a pretty significant difference at that end of the grid and then of course the winner of the lantern rouge competition is of course Salber last year with five whole points now that there's only 10 teams in the sport and not 11.
4: Okay so I'll go first then I think that Sauber will beat Toro Rosso and Haas this season uh, I'm not going to comment on McLaren At this point, and I'm going to let that go to Jake. What do you think? I think Alpha Romeo, uh, Salfa are going to beat Toro Rosso and they're going to beat Haas.
6: No, uh, they won't beat Haas. Uh, They might beat Toro Rosso. But to be honest, while the car looks better and while Charles Leclerc is in it and he is a prodigy and he is stunning, who has he got to get data from? Marcus, (laughs) cheese, sandwich, Ericsson the guy who oh wasn't he the cause of one of the red flags with the most idiotic of spins at turn one I mean the guy is garbage I do not understand why if Sauber are going to have this input from Alfa Romeo brackets Ferrari in the first place why they didn't bank on their man alongside Leclerc why didn't they give Giovannizzi the keys to the car it's astonishing Uh, that they just keep Marcus Ericsson in. I mean, Pastor Maldonado was an idiot who brought money to it. Marcus Ericsson is just blind half of the time. I I cannot believe this guy is still in Formula One. It is lunacy.
4: So Jake's sitting on the fence there about Marcus Ericsson. Nick, what do you think? Um,
0: I am very optimistic about Sauber with their new title sponsor, with their new driver. I agree it should be perhaps two new drivers. I'm wondering if they move... If they get more points, which I think they certainly will, and they're starting to get some more championship dollars, if it'll finally be uh, the bell for Ericsson.
5: I agree. I wish Giovanazzi was in uh, the car as well. But I will challenge Jake on the idea that Charles Leclerc needs a teammate to get data from because he single-handedly won the F2 title last year with Antonio Fuoco as a teammate who massively struggled in what was the championship winning car that year. So uh, I don't think Charles is going to struggle on that side of things at all. What they've definitely proven though, is that car is a bit of a handful. Um, So I think that's going to be their major issue. And also the fact that it's such a revolutionary car for them, it's so different to last year. Again, that's another thing they're going to struggle with. They've got to learn the car, much in the same way that Ferrari and Williams are. I will, yeah, you know, I won't say anything on McLaren because we've said everything that needs to be said. I will say that I don't think this group will be uh, existing this year, though. I, you know, there isn't going to be three groups of Formula One. You're going to have your big three, and then I think everyone else is going to filter into into the rest of that uh, because it's going to just be, I, th- I think, so much more competitive this year in the rest of the field.
1: Well, wow. I, I I disagree. I think I think the Cream will rise to the top. I I don't see after testing uh the Salfa being anything other than the best-looking car to be almost completely undrivable by its drivers. And Phil C has a question for you there, Spanners. When making that bold prediction about Salfa, did you forget about Ericsson entirely being one of the two drivers?
4: Uh, actually, that's fair. I did forget about all i'm thinking about is you know they've got a great young driver and they've got you know more potential they've got a current ferrari engine that is driving my optimism and yes when you remind me that it's marcus ericsson i get a slight sick feeling in my stomach that i am then going to be painfully wrong uh jake where do you stand on these uh these bottom two
6: okay so the bottom two if you're assessing that the bottom two are mclaren and uh sauber Sauber's only points in Formula One in 2018 will be scored by Charles Leclerc. There's no question about that. Marcus Ericsson will be starting every single Grand Prix from 20th, uh, unless there are grid penalties. Uh, and Charles Leclerc will score every single Sauber point. They'll score a lot of points with Charles, and that will prove that Kimi Raikkonen's too old, too boring, and therefore he will get the Ferrari seat in 2019. And that will be job done as far as Sauber Alfa Romeo is concerned. McLaren. Um, sixth in the Constructors' Championship. That, I'm going I'm to put them at sixth. I think Alonso will score a podium, one podium, uh, and I think it'll be a lucky one. I think they'll be in a lot of strong positions to score, and then for whatever reason, the car will just go, and that'll be that. But uh, they will definitely show competitive pace compared to where they've been over the last two years. They just won't have the luck to back it up. because I I do think that ditching honda and going with Renault was a bad move i think they should have stuck it out i don't care how many races they lost over the last two or three years they should have stuck it out because toro Rosso is proving
4: that they should have done that i'm wondering sorry go on i was gonna see you've jumped in but i was gonna do the whole segue thing of going nick i want to talk to you nick alexander just so Uh, the listeners who aren't used to the sound of your voice know exactly which ginger bearded person is talking nick alexander what do you think Sorry, I jumped ahead because you were already holding my name on a little snippet. Don't give away the little things we use. Don't give away that with all this production value, I've got just a tiny bit of paper with Nick written in black marker.
0: I'm sorry. We all intuitively know who is going to talk when for how long. And And no one ever rambles on long after the host has wanted them to stop talking.
5: Jake Jake and Chris. (laughs) Steven. (laughs) Stephen.
0: But I would just like to say that I worry that even if McLaren jumps all the way up to six in the constructors, that the toxic relationship in the blame game that they had with Honda won't continue to scare away sponsors, even with a much faster and much better looking car. See that
5: if, you know, even Honda were were capable of these you know, updates in this progress, McLaren weren't allowing it because it required too much compromise. And as a result, you know, they've lost potentially the best thing that was going to happen to and their biggest sponsor.
4: Good. That pretty much gives us quite a good rundown of what the panel think of the order, Matt.
1: Yeah, it does. It's interesting to me, very few people are making uh, the argument for McLaren to be going anything than other possibly to the midfield. Don't see it. But the chat room makes the point that they think, sauber's real move will be removing ericsson from the cockpit and putting calderon in for a race and i'm curious what people oh, think about that Oh
4: wow that would be spectacular and they've really pushed her appointment and they've been very vocal about her involvement in f1 jake what insight do you have on that uh i think it would be a smart move
6: just to shut carmen yorda up personally Uh, Uh, I think think everybody has had enough of every time she opens her mouth and says, oh, well, maybe you should try Formula E, ladies, because it's going to be easier than Formula 1. Bull. I'm sorry. I'm not going to finish the rest of that because this is a clean podcast.
0: I think she she may have been asked a leading question.
6: Well, absolutely. But I I do believe that Tatiana Calderon, I don't think she's Formula 1 winning material necessarily, but she will be a groundbreaker because the last – F1, who actually tried to compete in Formula One, was Giovanna Amati, And I think all of the horror stories around that have already been written in full page volumes. We need someone who's actually competitive that could run uh, alongside someone like Charles Leclerc. I'm not saying she'll beat him on pace, but she's good enough to be at that level. Oh, well, yeah, sh- Sure, totally but sparkles,
4: sparkles, if you were a young Formula One driver of any gender you would want to get into Ericsson's seat to prove you could do better than Ericsson. Uh, possibly the only other driver you would want to do that more is with Lance Stroll's seat. But Ericsson's a pretty good seat to jump into as a benchmark to show what you can do.
5: I were a young driver, I'd take any seat I could get. Um, but the, the the problem with, with Cold Run, you know, as, as brilliant as it would be, as 3D Quick points out in the chat room, actually, not enough points for a super
4: license. No, that is a problem. All right, look. We've, uh, I think we've shuffled through the order a lot there. I want to speak to some of our panel. Guys, you're sick to death of hearing what me, Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens and Matt Trumpets are up to. Let's speak to the two guys we haven't heard from properly this year. Jake Sanson. You are a commentator. You are also the head of Downforce Radio, the nation's motorsport station. Although you are now going under the banner of Downforce UK, quite a lot of exciting things at Downforce. Firstly, for you, you are doing uh, Spanish go-kart commentary.
6: Yes, uh, not just Spanish either. Uh, we're working with RGMMC very closely this year, which is the uh, Liberty Media of karting, as it were. So we're working with uh, uh, the Iami X30 European Series and the two major world championships, which Lewis Hamilton failed to win in the year 2000 and was beaten by a chap called Colin Brown, who could easily have been an F1 driver, but no money. Uh, so yeah, we're, we've already been to Valencia a couple of weeks ago. We're going to go to four locations for the European Championship, to Salbris in France, to Marienburg in Belgium, to Wackersdorf in Germany, And to uh, Siete Largi, which is at Castelletto in uh, Milan, in Italy. So right next door to Ferrari's Maranello factory, pretty much. Uh, And then we have Genk in Belgium. And uh, Christianstad is where the World Championships are being held this year in Sweden. So any of our international viewers, listeners, do please come along. Uh, and check us out. It's going to be amazing. We'd love to get to meet you guys in person if you listen abroad and uh, we'll get you in on the streams that we're running. We're working on television as well through Telemundi Media, which is uh, very big on YouTube. We're also staying very close to home with our British series. We're running lots and lots of karting, trying to spot the next Lewis Hamilton and Jensen Button. So we're working with the Bambi Karting Championship, Birol UK Series, the Super 1 National Karting Championship. There's some big news coming on that. We'll keep you posted. Uh, at Downforce UK on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, do please keep it up today. And I'll also do some Teddy stuff with car racing as well uh possibly for eurosport possibly for bt sport but definitely for the fiesta junior championship for ford fiestas for toyota's porsches and for the mazda mx5 championship for a lot of british racers there
4: and one thing i will say is if you do go along and meet jake sanson you will definitely have met uh, him uh, and don't worry about having anything to say jake will fill those silences perfectly there is a return for your podcast Pit board where you basically waffle on for an hour or two in some insane way with uh, overly loud music and varying competencies of panelists, like we do.
6: This is very true. Think of uh, this show if we were allowed to swear and uh, with an awful lot of bad, crass jokes. That is basically pit board. It's not big or
4: clever, Jake. Being able to no, naughty words. No, 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 it's
6: not. It's not big. Or it's not clever. But it is a really good laugh. So uh, Wednesdays uh, on our YouTube channel this year. We're not on Facebook this year. We're on our YouTube channel, so you good. guys can really interact and chat away. Uh, I might even invest in a green screen this year. <gasps> Yay! Uh, so uh, that's the way it's going to be. We're also launching a gaming channel this year, which we'd love you all to come and uh, be part of. Come race against us on the live streams and everything. It's called Racing Voice Gamer. Yes. Uh, which is also going to be on our YouTube channel as well. Uh, So, yeah, that's about all there is at the moment. Paul Wright. It's going to be
4: great. Paul Wright in the chat room says, I wish Jake would open up more and tell us what he really thinks. And also, just a little bit of enthusiasm wouldn't go amiss. Let's go over to America, Nick Alexander. Uh, How are you finding your induction into the missed Apex panel? Induction? I've been on several times, but uh, hoping to get on a little bit more frequently this year. Um, Never really stuck out before.
0: it? (laughs) Was it it wasn't memorable for you.
4: Yeah. <laughs> I, I tell you what, Nick. You're part of um, our patrons' Slack group people that invest uh, some time into sim racing. And there's a bit of a hot lap yes. challenge going on. At the moment, uh, it's, uh, it's confined to the patrons, but I think we might be looking to open it up if there's some demand.
0: Right. So general over, overview of the hot lap challenge. We are playing Project Cars 2 on PC, Xbox, PlayStation, doesn't matter. And we are doing a 21-week drivers and constructors championship and geographical championship. Um, We're going to a different track every week, and we're submitting time trial times um, by midnight Saturday the day before an F1 race. We are currently racing at Bathurst in Australia in honor of the upcoming Australian Grand Prix. Um, if you are a patron and you want to get in on that, please let me know right away. We're doing a private channel, um, and if there's interest in non-patrons wanting to compete or know what our times are, um, hit us up on Twitter at Mr Apex F1 or talk to me at Nick Alexander F1, which is a new Twitter handle uh, because that is really all I tweet about. <laughs> I tell you
6: what, Nick, there's interest from a fat dopey commentator in Chester as well. Give it, give me the link, man. I'm in. I'm in.
4: Okay, let's do it. And I, I definitely want to do some live races as well with uh, Missed Apex panel patrons and listeners. So I think we'll be doing a lot more of that going forward. We might jump in on some of the downforce sim racing events. uh, Oh yeah. Downforce versus
6: Missed Apex. This has got to be a major competition. (laughs) We've got to do it. Oh,
4: two names for you. Alex Van Jean, Bradley Philpott, you're going down.
1: (laughs) Oh, it's on
0: now. Okay. If we go to the viewers, then Steve
4: Blackout19 and Sam Harper are rapid okay let's find out from our two stalwarts matt trumpets where can people find you online
1: you can find me online at matt pt 55 on the twitters the wife at a weaver writes has a new thing going up on the amazon and yeah in general stop by and say hi now i will say speaking of the patron group there has been a bit of a push to organize an american style carting thing in the Northeast. So. If you're interested in that, please uh, either reach out to Mr. Apex or at pt 55 on Twitter and let me know if that's the kind of thing you would like us to try and organize.
4: Go on, Sparkles. Where can we find you?
5: Uh, on Twitter, at CStevens underscore journo. Um, you can read my feature this week in Autosport Magazine. I think it's this week. Uh, my first one in the mag, so I'm very excited about that. Um, i've had a few MotoGP articles on motorsport.com i had one with the best quote ever which i will let you uh find it's the one about marquez teaching honda riders to crash uh which is uh, very very fun uh and uh e-radio uh this week on uh, wednesday at uh either i think six thirty or 7 we haven't actually agreed the time yet but our uh, wednesday night uh, on the eRadio Show YouTube channel. We'll be live
4: uh, to do some previewing and some news uh, ahead of the Punta del Este ePri. Follow me at SpannersReady. I'm interesting, I promise. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory last forever. This is Mist Apex for Bjorn. We never feel alone on the live stream, Matt, because we have so many comments to pick from. Of those comments, which one do you think is the worthy winner of?
2: Comment of the week.
1: Right. We have many people playing and the competition was fierce. We start with Kedarnath Ayer. If engineering could win championships, why is McLaren struggling? And then we have, um, oh, sorry, RJ Bone, where there's a Ferrari fire. There's a customer car powered by Ferrari smoldering. Phil Z is in with, should we descend into the cellar, is what Matt says before he murders you.
4: <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. Yes.
1: Um, uh, Dom Burn, my money is Ferrari, have screwed up their Halo calculations uh ian erasmus was on it he wants us to bring back the pit fires
4: <laughs> the odd explosion is good from time to time
1: yes uh lauren's Rollograph, mclaren sandbagging in pu change time in the testing because they had to do it more than once yes okay all right then uh craig alderson i think i recognize that name matt needs to wear those white ping pong balls all over his body and repeat the word precious, precious.
4: Because you've got a green screen, because I won't let you use your fancy green screen software yet. <laughs> Sorry.
1: No, like it's a new computer. Uh, Ian Erasmus, there's a massive iron-brew and haggis black market on the dark web. Imhilmi um, Falzi, don't look too much into testing while looking too much into testing.
4: Definitely. Look, what else would we talk about? Uh, welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. Uh, you can't really tell anything from testing. So, good night. See you on Australia.
1: Yes, Evie Klinken testing his lake constipation. It's not really the main event. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it, it, but it's but, part of his it.
1: So it gives Michigan. you time to
0: think.
6: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it does. That's got to win, surely.
1: <laughs> That's, well, we're pretty much done. Uh, Evie Klinken, Sanson's cam is comfortable, comfortably in his personal space. And then at the top, Evie Klinken, oh, chips, it was Mother's Day, followed immediately by Josh Kobe saying, you know what? Y'all just scared the you know what out of me because, of course, he's in the U.S.
4: where <laughs> it is
1: absolutely not Mother's
4: Day. Well, okay, well, hurry up and declare Falsey the winner. Uh, oh, you think Falzi no, the winner? No, I think I so. Know. Do you not?
1: All right. I, I was going for Evie Klinken because he got the biggest reaction from the panel. Yeah,
6: but I don't think
4: constipation gets enough of a good press these days. Matt, the ultimate decision is down to you. Tell me who's won. Comment of the week.
1: I'm going to go for Evie Klinken just because he's a brand new contributor. And dog on it, he's done a good job. Comment of the week.
4: Good shakedown, boys. Good shakedown.